If you'll open up your Bibles to Psalm 113, that's where we'll be this morning. Psalm 113. Psalm 113. Just nine verses in this psalm, but it's one of the most important and a key psalm that we cover this morning. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forever. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations. His glory is above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is enthroned on high, who humbles Himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of His people. He makes the barren woman abide in the house as a joyful mother of children. Praise the Lord. Father, we come bearing praise this morning with worship in our hearts and on our lips. And we pray that over the next few moments, Lord, as we consider this psalm, that we would be ever more and even more ready to praise You. That worship, Lord, would not be something that we do on occasion, but would be, Father, the aspect of our lives. It would be how we function. Lord, may we be a people who walk in worship, who live and breathe worship to the name of the Lord. That the word hallelujah, Father, would not be foreign or distant or empty, but be full of the knowledge and the joy of Jesus Christ. This morning as we read through this, Lord, Holy Spirit, would you come and teach us and enlighten us And reignite, perhaps, Father, for some of us, the depth and the meaning of praise. And why it is that you call us to worship and what it does. May we all be caught up in it this morning. As we love you, Father, and praise you, Jesus. And want to hear from you, Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been waiting, actually, to teach this this message, to give this sermon. Uh, for quite a while now, Cheryl and I were driving along in the car several months back when a song came on her iPod, and it caught my attention. <coughs> song from a recent Amy Grant album, and the words are, it became the, the radio hit, her first radio hit in many years. The song's called Better Than a Hallelujah, and here are the words. God loves a lullaby in a mother's tears in the dead of night, better than a hallelujah sometimes. God loves a drunkard's cry. The soldiers plea not to let him die, better than a hallelujah sometimes. The woman holding on for life, the dying man giving up the fight, are better than a hallelujah sometimes. The tears of shame for what's been done, the silence when the words won't come, are better than a hallelujah sometimes. Better than a church bell ringing, better than a choir singing out. We pour out our miseries, God just hears a melody. Beautiful the mess we are, the honest cries of breaking hearts are better than a hallelujah. I heard the song and and I paused for a moment and and I said, replay that again. I went back and we played it and I listened a couple or three times through. Written by Chapin Hartford and Sarah Hart. It's a beautiful song. 
And in fact, Amy Grant herself had this to say about it. She said, the honesty of it, the vulnerability of the lyrics, the beautiful melody, and the song found me right where I was in my own journey. And it was incredibly powerful. It's just so poignant and redemptive. In the lyric, there's no religious code or lingo going on, and the message is true. It's good news. Now, i got to tell you, I like this song. But, we were well into the Psalms at the time, and something didn't sit right with me. And I've been processing this literally for three or four months now. And I finally realized what it was about the song that I didn't like. And some of you may disagree with me, and you may not disagree by the time we're done this morning. Better than a hallelujah? I have to say there's nothing better than a hallelujah. We've come to a place in, in church life where the emotion and the feeling and the sensibility of humanity has begun to override the value of worship and the importance and the depth of praise. And what it really does, what it really means. Now some might say, well Rick, you don't get what the songwriters are saying. Isn't it better to be real than religious? I agree with that. Isn't it better to be honest and embrace our beautiful mess as we come before the Lord? I have no problem with that. Isn't it better not to hide behind behind pretentiously pious religious words, phrases like hallelujah? In fact, I got in trouble a few years ago. Lo, many years ago, in, in a distant church in a distant land, when I turned in a bulletin uh, article as a youth pastor, and got called on the carpet for too many religious phrases, too many religious words in the article, not being real enough, and I had to go back and retool it to be, to be real, <laughs> which was kind of false because it wasn't what I originally turned in. Hallelujah. Has it become too much of a religious phrase that we don't realize even what we're saying when we say it? That's the first word of the psalm. Oh, I know it reads, praise the Lord. Well, that's our English translation of the word hallelujah. Praise to Yah, Yahweh. Praise Yehovah. And I just disagree that hallelujah has to be a pretentious, religious, pious word. I don't think that's the intent of the word. It certainly isn't the intent of the heart of the psalmist. And I know there are those who hide behind religious words. I get it. But there are also those who outrightly reject the language of faith completely because it sounds too religious. Well, for crying out loud, I am worshiping God. And sometimes there are no other words that fit or work better than hallelujah or amen, which, by the way, are the two words that are universal in every language. They're the only two that every language speaks. Hallelujah. And every language speaks. Amen. The issue, I'm sure, is the heart behind the word. It's how you come before the Lord when you say hallelujah. So on this day after Christmas, as the hallelujah chorus is still hanging in the air, you know, from great tabernacles to iPods, from Mannheim Steamroller, I invite you to pause And this morning, let's see if we can learn or perhaps relearn what Psalm 113 teaches. That there is nothing better than a hallelujah. There is nothing better than a hallelujah. Psalm 113 begins a collection of psalms. 
And so we're on the front end of several psalms that we're going to be walking through over the next couple or three weeks. Psalm 113 through 118, long known among Jewish people as the Great Hallel. The Great Hallel. Hallel meaning praise, and again, connected to Yah, Yahweh, praise Yahweh, hallelujah, simply praise the Lord. And these six psalms, the Hallel, the Great Hallel, were sung together as, as a package deal. Psalm 113 through 118 at each of the three major feasts of Israel. As the Jewish people came together there in Jerusalem, they would sing the great Hillel at Passover, or Pesach in the Hebrew. They would sing the great Hillel at Pentecost, as we know it, Shavuot in the Hebrew. They would sing the great Hillel at the Feast of Tabernacles, or Sukkot, the great Hillel. They also would sing this collection of psalms at the Feast of Dedication, which was just celebrated Hanukkah. They would sing these great Hallel psalms, typically at all the new moon festivals as well. So a Jewish person knows the great Hallel, would be familiar with Psalm 113 through 118, and together they declare faith in the greatness, the redemption, the plan, and the purposes of God for His people Israel and over all the created world. As the Jewish people were called by God to come to Jerusalem and celebrate, they would sing the great Hallel. Praise the Lord! Praise, O servants of the Lord. Now, a few things, if you want to jot these down, and we're going to actually be somewhat brief this morning. I have one major thing I want you to get, which I'll come to in a few minutes. But some little sub-points here as we go through the psalm, if you'd like to jot these down. The first thing we see is the communication of praise. The communication of praise. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. It's in the command form. Praise the Lord. Servants of the Lord, when you gather together, what's the first thing that ought to be on our lips? Praise. Praise the Lord. You come to worship Him. It's why we gather together. It is numero uno. Yes, we want to study the Word. Yes, we want to spend time in prayer together. Yes, and take communion and fellowship. But praise the Lord is the apex of what the people of God do. It's what we're going to do on into all of eternity. We've covered this many times now through the Psalms. That this is the heart of what the company of the upright are called to do. Praise the Lord. The communication of praise. Jesus said in Matthew 15.11, It's not what enters into the mouth that defiles a man. But what proceeds out of the mouth, this defiles the man. The things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. And so worship, praise, hallelujah, is like mouthwash. It cleans out my mouth. And it freshens the breath of my spirit so that as I am saying hallelujah, as I am in worship of the Lord, all those things that might typically defile the man, they get washed. And it has a backward effect as well. As I'm communicating praise outwardly, I'm communicating worship inwardly. And so that begins to not just wash the mouth, but to wash the heart. The very communication of praise. God knows what it does to us. You can't sit there and sing worship songs. You can't say, Hallelujah, Lord. Praise you, Lord. You can't speak these words again and again without it having an effect outwardly and inwardly as well. And what we express verbally indicates what's going on spiritually. What if I don't feel like saying Hallelujah? doesn't matter. I don't always feel like swigging mouthwash. That's a strong taste first thing in the morning. Woo. But it's a good thing. 
And I know you all appreciate it. <laughs> you know, when, when we say things like, I don't feel like worshiping. I don't feel like, you know, singing all those songs. I don't feel like doing that. You know what? Feelings don't change truth. And God is worthy of all praise whether we feel like worship or not. The truth remains. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Verse 2. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forever. The second thing you might note is the commencement of praise. When is it the right time to bless the Lord? Right now. Right now. It is always the right time to bless the Lord from this time forth. And forever. Well, Rick, if I started praising the Lord right now, I'd be interrupting your teaching. Not at all. Go ahead. Hallelujah. No, not out loud. (laughs) (laughs) The psalmist just says, Blessed be the name of the Lord. What he's doing here in verse 2, and I want you to understand, is he's moving from verbal communication to spiritual communication. And if you feel like saying hallelujah a lot, please, anytime. But be careful because it goes me on. I will preach longer. (laughs) No, we go from praise the Lord in verse 1 to bless the name in verse 2. From verbal communication to internal invocation. And you can bless the name of the Lord at all times, at any place, wherever you are. And I've shared this before. I believe that worship should be continuing while teaching's going on. That as we're in the Word and we're hearing about the Lord and we're seeing the wonders of what He's done and what He's doing and what He will do, that our hearts are continually blessing the name of the Lord. You get that, that chill up the back of your neck and you say, Bless the Lord. Wow. God, praise you. And all this is as much an internal thing as an external. That from the rising of the sun to the setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. That's verse 3, continuing on. The Lord now invites us, as these praises can commence, to conduct worship services in the heart from the moment we make and we wake until we drift off to sleep. And I like that. From the rising of the sun to its setting. Written in a time before electricity, and before we were, you know, too stupid to realize that when the sun goes down, we should too. You know, God had a plan for us. I'm going to give you a certain amount of hours in the day. I'm going to give you plenty of light to get done what you need to do. But then I'm going to take the light and put it to sleep so that you'll be smart enough to realize you can't do anything in the dark. Go to sleep. Get some rest. Have some peace. And when the sun is up, you'll be ready to be up. I can't use that example because it's about my son and he's not here. So I'm just going to move on. (laughs) From the rising of the sun to its setting. I will tell you this, in our electric world, with all the lights that we have, it is amazing how we have shifted our schedules to where we can work anytime and all the time. It's hard to bless the Lord when you're just too worn out. So the Father through the psalmist, inspires, saying, from the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Well, why not when the sun sets? Because at that point you're asleep and you're not praising the Lord in your sleep. You wake up and you praise Him again. And it's a continual thing. This is, number three, the conduct of praise. I'm moving quickly through these things because I want to get to the main idea this morning. 
The conduct of praise. That praise, worship, blessing the name of the Lord is not limited to time, location, or schedule. It's actually an every waking moment proposition. Every waking moment. Because to say hallelujah is itself an awakening. It awakens the spirit. My daughter wrote a song uh, several years ago called Every Waking Moment. And I've intended to bring it. And I I, I keep forgetting. We're going to do this song eventually here. Every waking moment, the chorus reads, You reside in my heart. Every time I call you, every fear departs. I will call you Abba, Savior, King, and Yahweh. Every waking moment, I declare you Lord. Amen. There's nothing better than a hallelujah because it awakens the heart, the soul, the mind, the spirit to praise the Lord. It awakens us to the strength of the Lord. Which is why when Amy Grant says, you know, better the tears of a mother in the middle of the night than a hallelujah, I say, no, better a hallelujah. Because it awakens us to the reality of God and His power and His strength and His majesty and His love and His compassion and His care. It takes the focus off of my heart and my issues and my pain and it puts it on the Father who can deal with my heart and my issues and my pain. Better a hallelujah. The Lord Himself declares, Matthew 1.11, For from the rising of the sun even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place incense is going to be offered to my name and a grain offering that is pure for my name will be great among the nations. Speaking of the coming kingdom, that day when God's name will be proclaimed worldwide among all the nations, praised and worshipped and adored every waking moment. The conduct of praise. Verse 4. The Lord is high above all nations and His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God? who is enthroned on high, who humbles himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth. And I shared this the other night. This is what I would call, number four, the condescension of the Lord. The condescension of the Lord. Did you know that the Lord is condescending? Not in a negative way. But the truth, the reality is God has to condescend to even come to where we are. He has to bow down. He has to stoop. The word humbles where it says He humbles Himself to behold. Even to look, gang. He humbles. He sinks down. Shafel is the word in the Hebrew. He has to make Himself low to be brought down. To sink into a lowly place. Verse 5 asks the unanswerable question, Who is like the Lord our God? He can't answer it. Because there is no who like the Lord our God. There is no one like Him in any way, shape, or form. Absolutely unique, completely holy, absolutely distinct. Hallelujah. There is nobody like Him. And then verse 6 comes along, and it doesn't even seem to fit in the psalm, who humbles Himself. What? (laughs) He humbles Himself. He sinks down. Just to behold, just to look, just to consider. And David recognized this in Psalm 8, verse 3. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him, and the son of man that you care for him? And the psalmist in Psalm 113 says he has to humble himself simply to behold the things that are in heaven. 
We're looking up at the stars at the canopy of lights above us and saying, wow, Father, your creativity is awesome and great and it's beautiful up there in the sky. And God's looking down and saying, yeah, I did do a pretty good job with stars, didn't I? He just has to look down, but he has to sink and he's sunk so far beyond that. What child is this? The carol sings. Why lies he in such mean a state where oxen and lamb are feeding? Good Christians fear for sinners here. The silent word is pleading. Emmanuel, God with us. And even more astounding, the idea that God put on flesh. Because even to do it, he has to sink down. God with us. The glorious Creator. Become an infant human. Created into, or not created, come into the world sank down to a lowly place and Paul says in Philippians 2.7 he emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross who could have imagined the creator God in a manger or on a cross he sank he sank down as we talked about on Christmas Eve, He came from the cosmos to the cross, from the stars to the scars. And that distance is breathtaking. How far He came. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The condescension of the Lord. Here's what I want to tell you this morning. Who is it that needs a hallelujah? Who needs to praise the Lord. Now the psalm goes on and tells us three different kinds of people who need to say hallelujah. Three who need to praise the Lord. Three kinds of people for whom there is nothing better than a hallelujah. Verse 7 gives us the first two. The poor and the needy. He condescends and we're told in verse 7 He raises the poor from the dust. And He lifts the needy from the ash heap. And gang, this is the consequence of praise. That he condescends to the lowliest place that the lowliest might be lifted up. That the poor might be made princely. That the needy might become noble. He condescends that we might experience that consequence even as we worship him. Verse 8, he says, to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. No doubt the psalmist had Israel in mind here. As he talks about those who are lowly, those who are poor, those who are needy, and he condescends to, to lift them up. And so the people of Israel sang the great Hallel and began with this psalm, a reminder that the mighty God came down to bring them to a mighty consequence, a nation of slaves made into a nation of God. Nation of slaves. When, what, where have you ever heard that ever happening before? In all of history, a nation of slaves as the people were enslaved in Egypt, being brought out miraculously, set up in a land, conquering that land, and becoming a mighty nation. It is a story unheard of outside the story of Israel, and yet it's what God did. The poor, the needy, and the third person for whom there is nothing better than a hallelujah. Verse 9, He makes the barren woman abide in the house as a joyful mother of children. Praise the Lord. The barren woman. Who's the barren woman? Well, there were many. 
If you go back through the scriptures, Genesis 17, 19, Isaac's mother Sarah was barren. Remember God came to Abraham and Sarah and said, you're going to have a son? They went, really? <laughs> Sarah laughed and ended up naming her son Laughter, Isaac. Joseph and Benjamin's mother, Rachel, was barren. Genesis 35, 24. Samson's mother, the wife of Manoah, Judges 13, 24, tells us was barren. Samuel's mother, Hannah, 1 Samuel 1, 9-13, was barren. John the Baptist's mom, Elizabeth, in Luke 1, 13 and 57, she was barren. And it's kind of fun to say all these people's mother was barren. <laughs> but they were. The barren woman who becomes then the joyful mother of children. The poor, the needy, the barren woman. What the psalmist is lifting up before us is there is nothing better than a hallelujah. Unless you're poor, unless you're needy, unless you're barren, unless you're broken and pained and and aching in heart, maybe you'd rather just listen to Amy Grant. And maybe you'd rather say, we pour out our miseries and God hears our melody. Beautiful the mess we are. The honest cries of breaking hearts are better than a hallelujah. And, And maybe you would sit here and listen to me talk about the word hallelujah. In contrast to some of the pain or or hurt or heartache of life. And you might say, nothing better than hallelujah, Pastor Rick? How cold. How unfeeling. How religious. How insensitive to try and throw out some religious phrase when people are impoverished and in need and empty. Listen. And I don't care if you remember any of the five little points that I already gave you. Please remember this. Please hear this. From ancient Hebrew history all the way to the present, the great Hillel, Psalm 113 to 118, is especially meaningful on one night of the year. Most importantly sung on the night of Passover. And on that night, they actually divide up the great Hillel. They'll sing the first half, or first couple, Psalm 113 and 114, they'll sing before the meal. Before the emptying of the second of the four cups of wine that are shared throughout the meal. And then at the end of the meal, they'll sing the last few of the psalms, Psalm 115, 16, 17, and 18, after the filling of the fourth cup. That is the cup of redemption. So what? So on the night of Passover, Jesus sang the great Hallel. On the night of Passover. He sang it with his apostles and gang. He sang it about himself. Psalm 113, he sang hallelujah to the one who brings up out of the depths. Psalm 114, Jesus sang hallelujah to him who once redeemed Israel and would redeem Israel again. Psalm 115, Jesus sang hallelujah to him who blesses those who choose the Lord over idols. Psalm 116, he sang hallelujah to the God who delivers from death. Psalm 117, Jesus sang hallelujah as himself the worship leader in the midst of his brethren. That's what Psalm 117 is about. And Hebrews 2 verse 12 tells us he'll lead us again. He will be the best worship leader you have ever worshipped with. Jesus in the midst of his brethren. 
And Psalm 118, if that weren't enough, Jesus sang hallelujah as the stone which the builders rejected. Jesus sang through these songs. And we're told in Matthew 26, verse 30, that after singing a hymn, which would have been Psalm 118, the stone the builders rejected, after singing that hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Again, so what? Jesus sang hallelujah on the night of His betrayal. Jesus sang hallelujah on the way to His brutalization. Jesus sang hallelujah en route to His death. That's how I can say there is nothing better than a hallelujah. For He became poor that we might become rich. And en route to His poverty, Jesus sang hallelujah. There is no better example in all of history, and certainly none in Scripture, to the value of singing and worshiping and praising God with a hallelujah in spite of the circumstances of our lives. Jesus was about to experience greater need than any person has ever known. Jesus was on the verge of the darkest moment of emptiness in history. As Father would have to turn His back on Son, covered in the filth of sin on the cross. And on the way to all that, Jesus sang hallelujah. Now there's nothing better than a hallelujah. And so, Father, we prepare hearts to come before You and say praise the Lord. And to worship You this morning because there is nothing better to say. There is no word that we can bring before You greater than hallelujah. Give us the faith to do so this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship Him together.